Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count with Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Crooners Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra say being in love is like heaven. But no matter how debonair those boys were with the ladies, they weren't so up to speed with what God says about heaven. So we invited Scott McKnight on the show, author of Heaven's Promise, to tell us what he believes about the big upstairs. Well, welcome to the podcast. Today we have a special guest, somebody that I've, I've actually never met in the flesh, but with whom I have a very regular email correspondence. We share a love of the American essayist Joseph Epstein, and anybody out there who's not read Joseph Epstein, you need to read him. He's one of the great essay writers uh, living today. Uh, the two of us also uh, read Roger Scruton's uh, latest book on the New Left more or less simultaneously last Christmas, and we're continually emailing each other with quotations about it. And the other thing we do is, uh, on occasions when we're having a nice glass of scotch of an evening, we mm-hmm. will email the other one to let them know which brand of scotch and how old it is, just as an attempt to to provoke <laughs> sinful envy mm-hmm. in the other one. Uh, it is, of course, uh, Professor Scott McKnight, who is the Julius. Armanti Professor of New Testament at Northern Seminary and a canon theologian of the Anglican Church. Uh, Great to have you with us, Scott. Carl, good to be with you, good to hear you, and good to be with Tom and Amy. Thanks very much. That's Todd, actually. I love the. That's fantastic. He's the one nobody knows. Carl is going to insist that that stay there. (laughs) Yeah. Just as, you know. That, we could not have paid him enough money to give such a great opening. Scott, that was the highlight of their day. I want you to know that. I'm going to live on that for the next 10 years. I am not going to hear the end of that. So thanks, Scott. It's been great talking to you, though. We'll we'll go and wrap this up. I confused you with Tom Wright. Oh, Oh, that's even better. Better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic, Scott. You don't know what that means oh to me. You goodness. don't know what that means to our listeners. It's <laughs> fantastic. Let's just put it that way. Oh, oh boy. Uh, Highlights. <laughs> Scott, you've just published a a new book, uh, The Heaven Promise, Engaging the Bible's Truth About Life to Come, something of perennial interest to to theologians and to uh, pastors. Um, Quick question before I hand over to Amy. Uh, My friend Bob Kolb tells me that in 1532, uh, Martin Luther, of whom I know you're a big fan, of course, (laughs) uh, Martin Luther at a table talk said that heaven is such a great place that we'll be able to say to a stone, turn into an emerald and it will turn into an emerald one minute later. Uh, Do you think that's a particularly biblical take on heaven? (laughs) I don't know how biblical it is. (laughs) He's getting dreamy on the glory of heaven, and uh, Luther was very good at that sort of waxing eloquent about what things would be, and he always spoke with, uh, utter confidence. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm going to hand you over to Amy now, I think has a, okay. a first serious question. Of the yeah, day. like, um, what do you in this book attempt to answer that's um, maybe more profound than we can get out of heaven is for real? Because <laughs> there's so much to glean from that book. I don't see what's left yeah, for you to teach us about heaven now. <laughs> No, this is a different kind of interview. But <laughs> I'm usually on radios, and it's very serious. Yeah. <laughs> no, 
but really, I mean, you know, why do you think why do you think readers are so attracted to those books? And so, what prompted you then to write a more uh, a serious book about the new heavens and the new earth? Well, the it's it's really clear that stories of let's say encounters of the beyond that in some ways confirm Christian faith, uh, not just you know John. Uh, What's his name? Uh, the the pastor Piper, not John Piper, the other one. Uh, Don Don Piper. Don yeah. Piper in Texas and his experience, and the young boy's experience. These things are so evocative for people, because otherwise, they have to trust the Bible's truth. Mm-hmm. They have to trust the tradition's truth. But these are almost living, fleshy people who came back from that world and have something to tell us. And while I'm not into telling people that what they experienced is not what they experienced, I have a hard time denying the reality and the impact of such experiences on people. But what concerns me so much is number one, that people believe in heaven because these people have had these experiences. And even more importantly, they believe that heaven is like what these people tell them rather than relying upon the surety of God's word as a revelation through Jesus, through even the book of Revelation, describing the vision of God for this world and new creation, new heavens, new earth. Uh, That's where I get my uh, belief about what heaven is like. And when I read what the Bible says, and then I read these stories. I have big questions about what these people are telling people about heaven. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a great point. And that's been part of our concern as well as how it undermines the sufficiency of Scripture um, oftentimes. And so I'm very happy that uh, a serious theologian is writing a book intended for uh, something perhaps less than the, than just academics, but something that can be accessible to people on heaven. Because as a pastor, one of the things that that we see is the number of evangelicals who are confused about heaven, precisely because all of their reading about heaven comes from these heaven tourism books. And so uh, my my wife was having, this has been several years ago, with a wonderful godly woman um, who reads her Bible, uh, is a wonderful woman, uh, but was very excited because she had just discovered uh, that we're actually going to have wings in heaven, and it because of of this boy's experience in in that book, Heaven Is for Real. So, uh, we're we're really happy that you're kind of putting your finger on that problem and uh, and addressing it. I, I, let me ask you this: as someone who, who's a pastor who gets questions, I, I I get questions about heaven pretty routinely uh, from people, and uh, one that kind of came up, and we talked about it a little bit uh, b- before you came on with us. Um, I'm asked routinely, particularly when people die, um, is there a problem with cremation? Do Christians have a position on cremation? Um, and I'll try to walk them through that, talk about why it is we typically, um, will, will bury, uh, those who've died, but how would you explain to someone if they had a question for you about cremation and about why typically Christians bury? Yeah, uh, it's it's a good question. And I think it is being faced more and more uh, by pastors because of environmental concerns, mm-hmm. because of space limitations. 
If you grow up in the city of Philadelphia or the city of Chicago and you live your whole life there, um, you, you could be landlocked when it comes to burial. So I, I'm glad the question is asked. Uh, I, I probe this just a bit in my book, and the theology of the Bible about the human body is, is sort of a from dust to dust, mm-hmm. and then the new creation, then the resurrection. And I believe that, that cremation, so that when we die, eventually, if you died in the first century in Galilee, uh, there's nothing left to your body in the ground. It has completely been disintegrated and turned into dust. I believe that cremation is is merely the human exploitation and speeding up of that dust-to-dust process. So therefore, I, at one time I had troubles with this. Uh, I see it at a, at a theoretical level that it is really nothing more than speeding up the process of total disintegration of the body. However, uh, this is where I think theologically we have to ponder things a little bit more carefully, and that is if a person really devalues the body in an almost platonic way, cremation becomes almost a, um, a justification or a legitimation of that de- diminishment of body. The body in the new heavens and the new earth is a, in a sense, a restored and renovated body uh, ramped up uh, with glory and spirit for the new heavens and the new earth. But it is still a body. Mm-hmm. And I take w- one of the contributions, I think, of my book, although I wrote this for lay people and I had my mother in mind every mm-hmm. word I wrote, I want to know if she would understand this. And she did. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, I, I'm concerned that people recognize that in the new heavens and the new earth, they have a body. And the template for our resurrection body has already been seen by mortal eyes in the resurrection body of Jesus. So one of the contributions is I constantly want to ask questions by pondering the promise of God to make all things right and for the new heavens and the new earth as well as the resurrection body of Jesus as a template of our eternal body. And that body of his had scars on it, and it was recognizable. I'm not saying it's identical, but I tend to think it is. Uh, And if that's the case, then we should value the body and see burial as the inevitable decay of, of our mortal flesh, but that that flesh will be uh, resurrected in the new heavens and the new earth. That's really good. I, I, and, I and I'll just ask your opinion on this. I, when I when I talk to people about this, and I had a conversation just recently, what I tell them is, you know, I, I don't know if I can say dogmatically, you know, uh, that I can condemn cremation categorically. However, there's something deeply important about symbolically about why we bury, and so if at all possible. You know, I, I would want you to make that choice of, of burial because of what it symbolizes, what it says about our bodies, what it anticipates about resurrection, et cetera. Is, is that pretty close to what, to what you're saying? I, I like that. I, I like what you're saying because the, the, the burial, um, in a sense, enters us into the burial of Jesus. He wasn't cremated, put on a, a pyre. Right. Uh, so I, I, think, I think that's right. Uh, 
I, I think that valuing the body is very important in that process. And pastorally, in talking to people, I think your approach there is wise, is that you're probing people as to why they're considering cremation and that if possible, burial is a wiser idea because it, it, um, it preserves the continuity of the body. Uh, I, I, do have, I do have problems with people consuming large tracts of land mm -hmm. for their own body and their own burial. Uh, it, it concerns me. Our, our, I grew up next to a cemetery, and for all the goofiness of a child's <laughs> life, I used to play golf in that cemetery all the time. It was a place I could just go hit golf balls, and I'm sure there are still golf balls in that cemetery that I hit in the 60s. Uh, but I can remember uh, the, the workers at the cemetery digging large holes and filling it with cement and then putting people in a very, you know, almost an eternal casket. Right. And, and I wonder if that uh, is almost a, a theory that this keeps people longer yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. rather than an expression of the fact that a there's a point. mortality yeah. to the body. Right. That yeah. it's, you know, you, you, when you put them in a, bury them in a hole, the, the, process, the process really does take place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. When Cardinal Newman was buried, he wanted to be buried in a cheap coffin and in high alkali soil in Birmingham in, mm -hmm. in England in order that he could return to the dust as quickly as oh, possible. Interesting. And when they dug his body up to rebury him a few years ago during the canonization process, the grave was empty. It mm. was an eerie moment, I believe, when they opened the grave mm. and there was nothing there. He'd been completely dissolved uh, wow. back, into, back into the soil. Wow, good bedtime so. story. <laughs> I'll remember I, that one. I, well, my I have two grandkids. I'll <laughs> still learn all this stuff. That's not as good as my Dun Scotus story. Because <laughs> he's the medieval guy who's buried in the crypt of Cologne Cathedral. And when they open the crypt to bury the next guy, Scotus is out of his coffin because they buried him alive. <laughs> and he was revived and he dies in the crypt. I love telling these stories. Sorry. Yeah. My heck? wife thinks I'm a deeply disturbed. Uh, <laughs> not only your wife. Uh, Scott. Thanks for coming on for that, Scott. <laughs> Scott, if I could ask uh, uh, again another really practical question. Uh, as, a, as a pastor and a preacher, how, how do you think I should approach the topic from the pulpit? And how often should I approach the topic from the pulpit? Is, is, should heaven be a standard part of, for want of a better word, the preacher's repertoire in preparing his people to die, I guess, to put it in very blunt terms? Yeah, I think we're facing, uh, Carl, I think this, this is where we're facing an issue with the, the young generation who I have the habit of calling skinny jeans people. <laughs> um, there is a tendency today to devalue heaven and eternity and a commitment to bringing heaven to earth now. So inaugurated eschatology gone in the direction of realization at the minimization of futuristic eschatology. Mm -hmm. So I do think that there is a tendency today, and I find this in speaking and preaching and teaching, uh, with the young adults, not as much interest in heaven as they ought to have, not enough respect for mortality as they ought to have, combined with almost a cynical realism about life, that I think heaven can enter into that discussion and shift uh, the dynamics and shift priorities. 
So I would say uh, in our world today, the younger the audience, the more often heaven ought to be well, talking. That's interesting. That yeah. is a very I wanna, interesting point. I want to build off of that yeah. because um, I've <clears throat> talked with Tom and, and Carl about this a couple Tom. times before. <laughs> Thanks, <yeah>. um, <laughs> how does our, our view of heaven affect how we live now in our relationships, in our friendships, in our family, in our church relationships? As a woman, I really think about this because... Um, everything's so over-sexualized in our culture, and the church has to deal with that a lot. And um, I think sometimes it becomes becomes uncomfortable for even male-female friendships. And I try to think of the, the brother-sister element in Christ and just how will our view of heaven, how are we going to serve Christ on the new heavens and the new earth, and how would that affect our relationships now? Yeah, I think uh, in part, Amy, the answer to this question, as you were telling Tom, <laughs> we love it. Was I think we have to we have to understand what heaven is in order to determine how it impacts us now. Uh, I think we have to understand what that future I call it the new heavens and the new earth, mm-hmm. or the future heaven, the final heaven, what that will be like. And I would go to the major themes about heaven in the visions of the Bible from Isaiah or the prophets all the way through Jesus and the apostles and in the book of Revelation. And I think there will be a theocentricity about it where God will be on the throne and there will be uh, an ecstatic, eternal worship animating every bit of who we are forever without distracting us from uh, the Lamb and without distracting us from one another. So I think the ecstasy will move in all directions of our adoration of God and our enjoyment and love of one another. Mm. Uh, Furthermore, it's going to be global. I think it's a global fellowship. And the vision of the Bible is that it is a city uh, that is flourishing rather than, let's just say, a choir that is simply Mm -hmm. in a worship service. Right, yeah. Uh, So once we start factoring those things in, I think we bring it into the world today. And, and you brought in the male-female relations, and I, I kind of go, I'm pretty much with Billy Graham on this, uh, in, in male-female relations in our world today, in part because my wife's a psychologist who has seen this go the wrong way so many times, and in part because I'm old, and in part because uh, I live in a world that's probably more male than it is female, though I do have an increasing number of female colleagues that I can trust and we can be friends. Um, But uh, the tradition of the church, which I think has been shaped too much, but not entirely from second century, third century, and fourth century Neoplatonic thought, where sex and gender were devalued, where we have people like Jerome looking down upon women. I don't want to really go too far in that direction. My point is this, is that Over time, um, sex, marriage, relationships were devalued, and all that mattered was one's relationship with God. But the vision of the new heavens and the new earth in the Bible is a flourishing city. And there's only one text in the entire Bible that hints at the relationship of a husband and wife in heaven. And I believe that, I know the tradition is that it teaches that we will not be married in heaven, but that we will be brothers and sisters in Christ and we will enjoy it and it will be even better than what we have now. Mm 
But the text of Mark 11 and its parallels do not actually teach that there will be no marriage. It says there will be no marriages and no giving in marriage. And I think that is the language in the Jewish world for new weddings and new marriages. It isn't denying the reality of marriage in heaven. It is denying the presence of new marriages in heaven. Now, I know that interpretation is not common, but I'm not the only one who holds this. Um, and so I would say that we should be pretty careful about, about diminishing marriage because it will be outrule, outlawed in heaven. Rather, we should see that heaven, that marriage is a foretaste of heaven and the kind of relationships we will have. And maybe the same relationships that we have now will be glorified in heaven rather than eliminated. So I, I have a little section on it and I'm open for discussion, but I have seen no one who's actually proven that that language, there will be neither giving or taking in marriage as anything other than the beginning of a marriage rather than a statement that there will be no married people in heaven. That's interesting. That's interesting. That'll be, that'll be, great news for my wife because she loves marriage <laughs> and so she'll be excited about that i was feeling I, for I was Karen talking, she thought there was a way out <laughs> I, talk, I was talking to a pastor so i have a lot of friends who think this is really bad news <laughs> <laughs> that's fascinating I, and i've wondered I, i've actually wondered that about that text before because of the language because precisely the point that you're making is, is that I, i've had a hard time and i've never preached this because i've only heard it taught one way, but I've always been bothered a bit by the language that it, it, it doesn't seem to me to be saying there will be no one married, it, 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 that, that marriage relationships are dissolved. It doesn't seem to say that. And so that's, that's interesting. That's helpful. Uh, one, one thought came to my mind as, as you were talking about uh, heaven uh, being described as a, as a city. And we know, of course, there's, there's some metaphor involved in that. But how, do, how exactly do you deal with the, um, uh, the, you know, the city coming down and it's being described in cubic uh, dimensions and, and, uh, and that sort of thing? What, what, what do you think the vision is getting at? Yeah, uh, the, the, the cubic numbers there are uh, should be followed by hashtag LOL. <laughs> because if you calculate the size there, it is humongous. Right. And I think that it's an image of an extraordinary mammoth-sized city that can, can house all the people of God. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a, it's a statement of extravagant space and size. Mm -hmm. Do you see? Do you see any merit to the idea that that those dimensions, at least the um, uh, th that there's any kind of a connection to um, to the, to the architecture of the temple and and the the the, the dimensions of the uh, uh, you know scale down obviously of the holy of holies particular? Do, do you see any merit in in those connections? Well, I, I think it, that would be the preliminary. Uh, language and architecture yeah. of the new heavens and the new earth. But it's very interesting, and I, I caught, I caught uh, Tom Wright on this <laughs> um, when he talked about a new temple. Mm -hmm. Actually, in, in Revelation, it says that the Lamb will be the temple. Yeah, yeah. And that is, uh, that is an amazing statement yeah. because it becomes uh, 
wholly and substantively personalized. Mm, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. What are some, some biblical promises that you talk about in your book that we can have now about heaven? Yeah, I think that, that to understand the promise of heaven, and this is really important to me, and this is why with the young adults when I'm around, I talk about heaven quite a bit, and I do find them uh, simultaneously very interested and encouraged by this, but a little bit put off by they think the tradition of the church has emphasized heaven so much that the earth doesn't matter anymore. And I often tell them, if I have to trade time and I get to live 90 years now and I live eternity in heaven, I think I'm going to focus on the heaven mm -hmm. side. Mm -hmm. But uh, the promise, I think that we have to understand the promise from the very begin of pro beginning of promises in the Bible. And there are so many promises in the Bible from God so that we would say that we worship a promised God. This is a God who's always making promises to people. And so he's, uh, our belief in heaven is as good as God's promise is good. And it begins essentially with Abraham and God's promise that he's going to give this old guy and his old wife babies. And these babies are going to bless the entire world. And they waited and waited and waited and manipulated and connived to get this baby situation resolved. Finally, then, you see the explosion of the number of Hebrews and Israelites and Jews in the pages of the Bible as a constant witness to the promise of God, which is then exploded in the New Testament as the gospel goes out to the Gentile world. And all of a sudden now, all these people dotted throughout the whole world are an illustration of the goodness and the security of the word of promise that comes from God. So over and over, the promise uh, that we're worshiping a God of promise, and the one of the final promises is, is that he will make of this creation what has always been his intention for this creation, and he will make of us what has always been his intention for us, so that we will be the, the kingdom of priests and we will be those who mirror the presence of God in the world to all of creation so that all of this will be restored and renewed and resurrected into the eternal new heavens and new earth. So I, I, I look at promise that way. I, I don't know if I answered all your questions, Amy. No, no, that's, that's good. That's good. Yeah. As we're drawing things to, towards a close here, Scott, um, again, one of the things about pastoral ministry is you get the kind of questions that – don't necessarily pop up in theologians' minds, but I notice you do, you do deal with with a question that comes up with remarkable regularity on the issue of heaven, and that is, will there be pets there? Now I'm sure a lot of our listeners will, will laugh at this point, but actually that is a concern to a lot of people. Will they see their pets in heaven? Do you have any reflections on that, Scott? You no, know, the number one question that people have but don't ask is, will I? <laughs> And the second question that people do ask is, will I recognize my loved ones? And this is called in the history of heaven discussion, the recognition theme. Yeah. The third question uh, is about pets. Mm. And I think, again, we have to think theologically about this. Uh, rather than just say, do I have a Bible verse on this? And I would say, uh, yes, kind of, in Isaiah. <laughs> 
but uh, is that heaven? Is that the new heavens? Is that well, what is that? Okay, so here, here's the way I'd look at it. God is a God of creation. The God of promise uh, that we worship is a God who created the world with an, a glorious diversity and magnificent uh, diversity and uh, of all kinds of creation. Plant. I, I love birds, and we go to Florida some, and I get to see birds that I don't normally see. We were in Hawaii. I got to see birds I never will see again. Uh, we've been in different parts of the world and seen birds. We've seen uh, in South Africa, we've seen lions. Uh, we see all these creatures of God throughout the world. And if we believe that the God of creation created that kind of world, and he, he's going to take our bodies and make them what they were designed to be, I believe simultaneously along with Isaiah and Rich Mao, that's my two <laughs> that... God will do to the created order what he has already done and more. So that in the new heavens and new earth, we have trees. Why not for the sheer joy and variety and the glories of the animal kingdom? And I, I like animals. I, I grew up in a farming community, and so I, I like the animal world. I believe that in the new heavens and the new earth, there will be a rich diversity and variety and joy in the animal kingdom. Including black labs, I agree. <laughs> but My no, sister-in-law has a black lab yep. named Tucker. Yep. That is one beautiful dog. Absolutely. Well, well, okay, so we've, we've got, got a dachshund that I don't want to go to heaven. <laughs> well, we've, we've, we've got now you much. and Greg Beal. <laughs> Um, uh, uh, you know, Gre Greg and I will, will be encouraged by the fact that, that you that you tend to lean towards um, uh, black labs being in heaven. So, so I was, I like was with Greg the day his dog was put down. And oh. It was as if he'd lost his wife. It's it a was bad devastating. Day. It's too. a bad day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm personally convinced that cats will not be in heaven. <laughs> yes. I, I think uh, they're a product of the fall. They won't they won't be in the new heavens and the new earth. But, um, um, well, this has been great. And and I'm. I'm, I'm excited about this uh, particular recording. I'm excited about uh, your book precisely because uh, pastorally, as we've already mentioned, um, we, we minister to people who are rightly so interested in this. And I think oftentimes uh, some of us, you know, grew up with a little bit of a baggage of don't be so interested in heaven, you know, that you're no mm -hmm. earthly good. And and, and, and that's and, and I'm, I was very pleased to hear some of the things you said about actually probably part of our problem has been we haven't focused on heaven enough. And um, so thanks for writing a book on this that um, sure does sound like something that um, that our people can can benefit uh, a lot from. So we really um, uh, appreciate you being here. And, and one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to give away a few copies of your book to some uh, eager listeners who will visit our website. Okay. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll secure a few copies uh, to, to give away. Uh, but Scott McKnight, thank you so much uh, for spending some time with us. And uh, it's been a great conversation. Um, been really, really helpful for us and I know for a lot of our listeners. So thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you. Well, we'll talk to you next time. Tommy, can you hear
Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, a coalition of pastors, scholars, and churchmen that exists to foster a Reformed awakening in today's church. In line with today's conversation, a few lucky listeners can receive a copy of Heaven's Promise by Scott McKnight, published by Waterbrook Press. Go to mortificationofspin.org to sign up for that giveaway. And join us next week when the team has a quick conversation about how to preach. And when we think about preaching, we all know that the only legitimate form of preaching is expositional preaching through books of the Bible, right, Carl? I think the only legitimate form of preaching is thematic preaching. Uh, How would you respond to that? (laughs) Um, Well, hopefully we would want to do both well. Join us then. And don't forget to visit mortificationofspin.org to find posts from Todd, Amy, and Carl and to enter to win Heaven's Promise by Scott McKnight. And Carl, yeah, I'll have an, I'll have an Aberlauer Abduna tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Something's wrong with your name. <laughs>